tonight as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. If you turn to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel 6, and we begin a two-part study called Lessons from the Lion's Den. Very familiar passage to most of you. It begins, and we'll take the beginning of it tonight. But it bears reminding you that when you look at Daniel, he's now been in captivity for 66 years. He is in his 80s. He is what you would call a senior saint. Uh, He was probably 15 years old when he arrived in Babylon. Uh, He now is in that place that you and I would call the sunset, the golden years. You might think he'd be a member of the BNCC, the Babylonian National Country Club. And he'd be out, you know, playing golf with some of the guys there in Babylon, doing something, retired from ministry, retired from life, kind of taking it easy on the porch swing. And when I think of Daniel's life, much like I look at Joshua and Caleb, we see a man out at the end of his life that's still busting Satan's chops, still doing work for the Lord, still continuing to fight the good fight, still doing what we've been called here to do, which is to be a light, to be salt, to never give up, to never surrender. And while it would be very explainable to almost anybody if you know we were to find that Daniel retired and you know had a house someplace on the Mediterranean and did his own thing for a few years, none of us would fault him for that. It's this beautiful picture of when God's at work in your life, uh, he continues to allow things in our lives that maybe we would say, you know, that was kind of unnecessary at that point. And you would think that that is where... Daniel's at now. As we pick up in verse 1, we find a, a man that just is still serving Jesus. Would you join me? We'll pray. Father, thank you for this incredible man. Lord, we, we want to dare to be like him. Lord, each of us has an expiration date. You know it. None of us know it. We don't know when you're going to take us home. We don't know when we'll be done with the race. Lord, but we want to finish well. And Lord, whether that's in a major capacity or reduced capacity or just some capacity, Lord, we want to serve you until you take us to that glorious home in heaven. And Lord, we see that in Daniel's life, and we pray that we'd be strengthened in our faith, Lord, just watching him battle, Lord, watching him be strong and courageous, Lord, truly being like Joshua, being unafraid. And so, Lord, speak to us through your word, bless us as we read it, in Jesus' name, amen. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. And a satrap was pretty similar to a governor, but it was more of a smaller geographic region. We might really kind of call him maybe like a mayor, uh, a, a county administrator or something along those lines. But they were a political position that went along with some territory. 
And so you can see that the region that's being controlled here is fairly large. So Cyrus, the Mede, the Persian has come on the scene. The city has been uh, taken captive. And so we have a change in leadership. And Darius is going to be set over that kingdom. And he will then establish leaders uh, underneath him to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, and so you have 120 of these regional administrators called satraps. And over these 120, so 40 each, if you were to divide them up equally, were three governors of whom Daniel was one. And so we see here very quickly that Daniel is still in this place that even the the people of the world, we would call them the unsaved, the unbelievers, heathens to some degree, even those who don't know the Lord, didn't worship Daniel's God, could see that there was something different about Daniel, and he once again is going to be promoted to a position of leadership, one of whom is Daniel, that the satraps might give account to them. And so Daniel is actually going to be, uh, in that sense, responsible for some of the governance uh, of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians uh, under Darius, who is a subservient Uh, ruler to Cyrus and he says the reason for it and this is an interesting statement so that the king would suffer no loss in other words so great was Daniel's character known amongst the Gentiles amongst those who did not know the Lord that he would be one of the most trusted people in the kingdom of Babylon with the financial resources the treasure if you will uh, of this new Medo-Persian empire that is now going to spread into what was formerly uh, the Babylonian empire. Let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history here. Historically, Darius is the son of Xerxes. And again, we have a a way to understand some of these things that's not from the biblical record. Uh, When we get to chapter 9, we're going to find that Darius is a Mede. And he's going to take over the kingdom at age 62. So you have an 80-year-old or an 82-year-old Daniel and a 62-year-old Darius. Darius has been appointed as a a ruler, as a king, as what we would call uh, likely a a prince of a region. Uh, But he is is under Persian leadership, so modern-day Iran. Uh, and, And so here's this man who's been exalted to a new position of leadership and we kind of look at it and it's like, well, who is this Darius guy? And when you look back through history, you're going to find out that the Persians actually had five Dariuses. Uh, much like when you read the biblical account, we find out that there were four Herods. Uh, there was not one, it was a title for a ruler. So there was Herod the Great and Herod Antipas and his sons. And so the Herods were a ruling group of people. Um, Darius is going to take a very high position. And thanks again to the Nabonidus Chronicle, which we made reference to and I showed you a picture of, um, we know that Cyrus made Guberu or, or Gubirus, this uh, man that's called Darius, the governor over Babylonia, exactly during this period of time. So we have a historical reference that Darius is, is not Cyrus himself, he's a different person and he is a regional governor. And it's also interesting as we dig through this entire chapter that there are a couple of unique things that could only be known by people who would have written during that time. 
Um, because it's a very well-known and very well-established historical fact that Babylon, uh, when it was in rule, uh, did a vast majority of its public executions by burning people alive. They were burned in the fire, which is exactly what the biblical account says, and you're going to find that the Persians uh, used lions to devour their enemies. And so we have a historical reference to two events contained in the Bible that that person that is the person going to be in charge of these public executions, just like Nebuchadnezzar, and so now Darius as well, uh, we have some historical uh, ability to look at the the things that are said and go, well, that's not really all that far-fetched because people have contested that there was a lion's den and anyone would ever have that happen to them. The problem is, again, history backs up the biblical account that people were often and frequently thrown to lions, in fact. And so the first thing that we see in Daniel's life is he is once again the distinguished one, and you can see it uh, in the verses we've already read. And there's going to be a a very definite pattern throughout the book of Daniel, the remainder of it, to where you're going to see uh, how God's people stood in the face of adversity, how the enemy came against them, and how they maintained their character throughout. And so we'll look for that here in chapter 6. But as, as we pick up now, and continue the story in verse 3 it says and then Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm now I want to draw your attention to something Daniel is an old guy he's not a youngster but he has not surrendered an inch to the enemy. And his character is still so stellar and he is so sharp that even at his advanced age, he is going to be distinguished ab- above the rest of these guys that Darius has put in charge of what was formerly Babylon. And so it's, it's visible and it's a picture to us. It's a reminder to us as the body of Christ you know, our service to the Lord doesn't really have an age date on it. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, how, how long should I stay in ministry? I, I can't tell you for any individual. I've seen some people that were done in their 40s, and I've seen others that finish when they take their last breath and go home to be with Jesus. That was true of Pastor Steve. It's true of Pastor Chuck. The question is, are you going to serve the Lord to the full extent of your capabilities and your abilities until the Lord tells you your time is up? And so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. And this is interesting to me, and and it happens fairly regularly. When when you see God's people exalted to any position, when, when there's a place where it's very clear that God has taken the spiritual character of somebody and then put them into a position of power, you can pretty much expect that those that are underneath them are going to try and find some kind of fault. And and that's not always attributable to the person themselves. It very often is just simply attributable to the enemy. The last thing in the world that the enemy wants is one of God's people in a position of authority. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. Our, our current vice president, Vice President Pence, um, is a truly godly man. He loves the Lord. And it's interesting to me how many of the accusations, unlike some of the accusations leveled against others, are just simply fabricated. 
There's not an ounce of truth to them. You will not ever hear him swear. You, you won't hear him use the Lord's name in vain. You will find him at church wherever he goes. Uh, Connie and I were down in, or I was down in Colombia and Pastor Santiago's wife, Paula, were having a service and the secret service came in and said, we, we have a visitor we'd like to have come visit your church. I said, well, great, we'd love to have a visitor. And lo and behold, here comes Vice President Pence. I go to a little Calvary Chapel in Cartagena, Colombia that has 100 people sitting in it. And when he got done, he wanted to, he wanted to pray for the pastor. He wanted to pray for the church. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is when you have that kind of character, no matter where you are and no matter what you do and no matter how much power you have, your life will honor the Lord. It will always honor the Lord. That's what you want people to know about you is I love Jesus. I love God. And it was true with Daniel. And so the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against him concerning the kingdom, but they could not find no charge or fault. There wasn't any. His character was impeccable because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him in other words no matter how hard you looked you couldn't find fault in his character no matter how hard you dug no matter what you did it just wasn't there because that character ran so deep in who he was that if you went all the way to the bottom of his life you're going to find the same substance what a picture for us as the body of Christ and how to live our lives. And I certainly am not asking anyone to raise their hand or you know, show if you have anything in your background that if someone dug very deep, they would find it. Because chances are there's something for all of us, myself included, if you go back far enough. But what the text seems to indicate is no matter how far back you went, you couldn't find anything but a man who worshiped God. You couldn't find anything but a person who was, whose character was so strong that that's all that was left when you went digging. Oh, how the world needs that type of strength in the Lord today. And then these men said, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find, him, find it against him concerning the law of his God. It is always funny to me how people who do not know the Lord, do not follow the Lord, do not want to know the Lord, will conveniently use the Lord to try and find fault against people who do serve the Lord. Probably some of you have had that happen to you where somebody will drag out their favorite Bible verse. Happens to me like this fairly regularly when I confront some kind of sin issue the first thing that will happen for, with somebody who does not know the Lord, does not follow the Lord, does not walk with the Lord, don't judge me, bro. Jesus said, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Now, I will conveniently point that out to them that that's not actually what that says. But they'll try and use something in God's character to find fault with God's people. That's the situation here. They're going to try and find something about Daniel that they can say, ah, see, he's not following his God. And there's a little bit of a warning here. 
We have to be careful because the world is watching what we say versus what we do. When we say we love the Lord, you can expect that the enemy is going to try and use what we do to contradict what we say. So if you don't do anything that contradicts what you say, if you actually walk in the spirit and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you're going to end up with a a level of integrity that you see here in Daniel's life. The secret is consistency. I've talked to an awful lot of parents who will go back and look at their rearing of their children. And there was a point in time when maybe they weren't walking with the Lord and came to faith, and this is not in any way, shape, or form meant to to shame anyone. But because there was not consistency all the way through their children's lives, they came to faith and maybe, you know, here in, in this part of their life there was an inconsistency according to their, their, walk with the, their walk with the Lord was not then what it is now. And then all of a sudden that contradiction comes up. And, and there people are it's like, wow, you know, that's not how you used to be. To the greatest extent that it is possible, I would just strongly encourage you to be consistent in your character before the Lord. Not highs and lows, consistent in your character in the Lord. Because people are gonna see it. The enemy's gonna try and test it. And so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. The, The flattery begins, if you will. He distinguished himself, extraordinary spirit, gifted, filled, led by the Holy Spirit. This is prior to salvation, so the Holy Spirit wasn't in him, but the Holy Spirit was in the world. The Holy Spirit has always been. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit was, you know, only came on the scene in the New Testament times, but the Holy Spirit was not in yet Daniel, but with Daniel. Wherever Daniel went, he was a man who was led by the Spirit. And so he's able to demonstrate that by the way he lived his life, even in captivity after some 66 years of being God's man in Babylon, now Persia. There's a picture here, and I think it's one that we can all kind of look at. When you think of your own life, you know, sometimes you look at people like, you know, perhaps Nebuchadnezzar followed by Belshazzar and the Bonitus and all these people. And you almost want to get upset with the people. But behind the people, there is a very real enemy. There is a devil. The devil is absolutely real. And he absolutely hates you, hates me, hates the church. He has always hated God's people. And whenever God's people are representing the Lord, you can count on the enemy stirring up some trouble. This is not a guess on my part, by the way. It's the totality of Scripture reminds us of this truth. And so in Daniel's day, behind these governors, behind these satraps, behind the leadership of now the Persian Empire, and before them, behind the leadership of the Babylonian Empire, before them, behind the leadership of the Assyrian Empire, and before them, behind the leadership of the Egyptian Empire, 
and after them the Greek Empire, and after them the Roman Empire, behind all those godless empires, there is a real devil. And he really affects things that go on in this world. And so sometimes we look at this, oh, it was just one nutty king. You can say the same thing about many of the people that that we would look back through history and go, you know, that rotten Genghis Khan. And while it's true, Genghis Khan had a reign of terror. It's true that Alexander the Great did the same thing. It's true that Caligula did the same thing, the Roman Empire. And you could go through history and name all kinds of people. And you would get to Cyrus. You would get to Darius. You would be in this time. And you go, oh, you know, there were just, well, behind them, stimulating them, motivating them, tempting them, is the devil. And some people kind of, I, and, I, and it really is an amazement to me when I talk to Christians that seem to not believe that the devil is actually real. They wander around this world thinking, well, it's just kind of like the, just the way we speak about the personification of evil. Now, he's a fallen angel. He, he is absolutely adverse to everything God does and everything we know about him says he is an enemy that is willing to do anything to destroy God, to destroy his kingdom, if he could. Verse seven, notice what it says, continuing onward, and all the governors of the kingdom, administrators, satraps, the royal counselors, the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm degree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, who do you think stimulated that thought? Because what could you count on the Jews doing? The Jews prayed at a minimum three times a day. They prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, and they prayed at night. And undoubtedly, they had been doing that for 66 years in the presence of Babylon, especially Daniel. So now this new guy on the scene, Darius, may even not be familiar with any of that, but the devil is. And so what do you think he put in the minds of these governors, these satraps, these counselors that are gonna go now to the new king in town? But hey, let's find something against Daniel that pertains to his God. Can I tell you there's a few things going on in our world that are just like that? Let's find something against Christians that pertains to their God. You ever wondered why those who don't like the Lord are attempting to close down churches by taking away their tax-exempt status? You ever wonder who's behind that? Because it isn't going to result in a whole bunch of tax revenue for the federal government, but it will shut down the churches. That's the enemy that's behind that. That's the devil that's behind that. And you can say, wow, that's crazy. No, he's a real enemy, and he really stirs things up. And so they come up with this decree. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign it in writing so that it cannot be changed. Make it immutable. This is a law. Once it goes into law, for 30 days, nobody can pray. 
unless they're praying to Darius's God. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. In other words, it is unalterable. And therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. You're probably thinking, well, there's no mention of the devil in that passage. So why is Pastor Jeff talking about the enemy? Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He's gone through this incredible dissertation about the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. The fact that we are saved by grace and through faith. He's reminded us of all of these incredible truths that we're redeemed. And he says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Not that you might be able to stand against your government, or you might be able to stand against that wacky guy in your neighborhood, or you might be able to stand against your boss at work, or you might be able to stand uh, against you know, something that's going to happen to you in court, or you might be able to stand against some law that's going to be made here in the state of California that, that's going to affect us. Behind all of those things is the devil. And so it says the wiles of the devil the cunning craftiness of the devil himself to be able to stimulate governors satraps guys like cyrus the mede to do his bidding for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age and then he says something that ought to stick in your mind against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Not only is the devil himself crafty, not only is he wily, not only is he cunning, not only is he a liar, not only is he a thief, he has his demonic host to help him out. And that word host there literally means an an innumerable number. Can't tell you how many there are. So if you ask me, how many demons are there? I don't know. But there's a lot. More than, I, uh, more than any of us want to really know. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Notice it doesn't say if an evil day comes. The implication there in the original language is there is going to come an evil day and you better be ready for it. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to us. It has always happened to the church. There's never been any generation that's walked with the Lord that has not experienced that type of an attack. Whether you're talking about during Daniel's time or our time, The enemy has been after the church, been after God's people, been after God's character, attempting to destroy the work that is being done by God. And while he may have many different names and take many different paths to attack us, his his tactics are, are tied really to his principal name. And devil means accuser. And so when we read in John 8, 44, that he is a murderer, he's a liar, he's actually the inventor or the father of all lies. It should not be new news to us 
when we read that in Daniel's time, guess what Satan's doing behind the scenes but trying to bring an accusation against Daniel. You can't get to his character. It's impeccable. But isn't it crazy how a little tiny accusation without any basis in fact or truth can do some pretty gnarly damaging work? And so the devil hasn't changed his tactics. He still does the same thing. He may use some new words. He may use a little less or a little greater frequency, but he is still the accuser. That's what devil means. The word Satan means adversary, one who actively fights against. If you have an adversary, that's, just not, some, that's not just someone who doesn't like you. That's someone who wants to actively fight against you. And so the devil is an adversary. He was an adversary in Daniel's time. He's an adversary in our time. He's actively fighting against you. He is the ruler of that group of demons that's called the principalities, powers, and the host of wickedness in spiritual places. He's their boss. And so what Daniel is facing here is not some new government that doesn't like him. Daniel's facing extinction because what Daniel stands for is Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And Satan hates Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And so he's going to try and take out Daniel because Daniel stands for Yahweh, Lord of hosts. And so when you come against those things that happen in your life, you have to understand what's happening. That's not just because that person at work is not being nice and doesn't like you. It's because behind them, if you love the Lord and are standing for God, there's someone behind them that is saying, you know, if I can just take you out, then God has no voice here in this business. God has no voice in this hospital. God has no voice in this school. God has no voice in whatever business you're in. God has no voice wherever you are. If the enemy can discourage you and dissuade you and take you out, just like he's trying to do Daniel, then God's voice disappears from that place apart from a miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit. God's principal way that he speaks into this world is through his people. And so you are important to God's plan. So don't think that the enemy isn't going to come against you. He has a very definite mission and he has very definite methods whereby he works. You know, sometimes we waste our time fighting people. We look at what people are doing, what people are saying, and we forget to fight the right way. We forget to fight on our knees. If we get to battle the right way and we begin to battle the wrong way and all of a sudden we wonder why we're not being effective. If I'm going to walk in victory then I have to realize that I'm walking in a way where I'm going to be in a battle and I need to use spiritual weapons in order to fight that battle. Daniel absolutely is going to find this out when you look at the way the enemy works in this world the devil's called the tempter so even these men who have this plan 
are succumbing to the devil's tactics because they're being tempted to have more power. They're being tempted to have more possessions. They're being tempted in their flesh to be the top of the heap. They're also being tempted, and you can see it here, they're trying to get Daniel killed. Where do you think that comes from? That's from the enemy. Daniel's actually going to face real roaring lions, but in the meantime, he's going to have some people that are going to act like roaring lions. They're going to scream and yell and shout and go, you need to get rid of Daniel. Make a law that will take care of him. They're in Genesis 3. He's called the serpent. He's, he's crafty. He slithers around. Connie and I were out at the Living Desert Zoo in, in Palm Desert yesterday, and we were, we were walking around the zoo, and you know, I, kinda, I had forgotten for some reason how many different species of rattlesnakes we have here in the state of California. There are six or seven of them, and they're all very well adapted to their particular environment. And so wherever you find them, guess what their coloration mimics? The place that you find them. So when you're in the mountains and you've got all that pine straw and duff, they're almost jet black. That's a Pacific diamondback. You've got another species of that. You move a little further down the mountain to the scrub oak, it's nearly silver. By the time you get to the desert floor, they're almost as white as sand. If they're in the mountain in the rocks, they're red. The devil's been called a serpent for a reason. He adapts very well to the conditions that exist, and he is not going to let you know he's there. That rattlesnake only rattles when a strike is imminent. But he's been there the whole time been hiding coiled up ready to strike and so the enemy is in this world coiled up disguised hidden behind all of the things of this world ready to strike and worse yet second corinthians chapter 11 reminds us that he actually masquerades he he pretends he puts on a mask and pretends to be an angel of light. He wanders around looking as if he's doing good things. And he is, of course, the uber-relevant, the super-relevant one, the God of this age. You ever noticed how all the things that people struggle with in our world make absolute sense with where the world is right now you wonder why we have a problem in in the world with pornography when everyone has an instant pornography station in their pocket the god of this age is behind that you don't think that satan didn't know that everybody be carrying around a smartphone you ever wondered why we have these these problems with our morality when our laws now are so diminished in that area, this is like, well, you know, I mean, why even fight the fight? That's the God of this age. Can I tell you that wouldn't have worked? If you'd have thrown those types of things at people 2,000 years ago, they'd have gone, what? Huh? It wouldn't have made a bit of difference. (laughs) 
excuse me. I am so close to well. I'm actually declaring myself well, even though I'm not. That's how good it is. But he's uber relevant. The enemy's wandering around just going, oh. So you can see it in the way he attacks Daniel. He gets right into the moment. Here's this new government, new leadership. It's a new time in history. And of course, you're going to have to have new laws. So what does he do? We'll make a law. Because these Jewish people that have been here in captivity for 66 years, we don't want them taken over. I mean, after all, we just won the battle. So let's put a law in place that constrains them and them alone. We got to be wise, brothers and sisters. This spirit creature that we, that we call Satan, the devil, was originally an angel of light. He was a cherub. He, he was of the highest order of God's angels. And he's not playing. When he said, I will become like the most high God, he meant exactly that. And that's what he's trying to do. He still tries to do that to you. He's going to try and convince you that this whole Jesus follower thing, this disciple of Christ thing, is the dumbest thing you could ever do. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to put the uber-relevant things in front of you. He's going to masquerade as an angel of light. He's going to try and deceive like a serpent. He's going to attempt to yell and shout you down as a lion. He will absolutely lie to you in hopes that you will fall into a trap and be killed yourself. And he is going to tempt you with the things that are in this world. Those things are coming your way. And if you are not aware that that's how the enemy works, then you can fall right into his trap just like that. Because the devil's not going to show up like the cartoon figure in a red suit, forked tail with horns going, hi, I'm Mr. Devil. He's going to show up absolutely with something you need absolutely something you want absolutely something that will tempt you absolutely something that will be out of the norm but it'll seem normal and so here he comes behind the scenes working his mission his methods are little changed since the beginning of his reign and along with that, those principalities, powers, rulers, uh, this heavenly host in, in a spiritual place. And so what we really see in this passage is some old ways that are for new days. As he begins to work, Daniel's now going to be, going to be under attack. Don't think you're immune to it. You know, sometimes people act like the devil doesn't even attack anybody anymore. Or, you know, maybe that was then and this is now. No, he's still very much alive. And in fact, I would go so far as to say because his time is short, that perhaps he's even ratcheted up the, the temptation a little bit, the tests a little bit. You and I are going to have those same things. We're going to have our wrestling. We're, we're going to be forced to deal with him. 
You know, sometimes we read the book of Job and go, well, you know, that was Job. Well, you might be Job 2.5. Maybe that's going to be my lot. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to allow in each of our lives, but I know the devil's real and he's not dead yet. I wish he was. There's going to come a point in time when Jesus is going to chain him up and throw him where he belongs in the pit, but right now he's wandering around. Amen? So don't be dumb. That old Facebook friend is not your old Facebook friend. That's El Diablo. True that, amen? You know, you're getting dialed up. It's like, oh, I just want to talk to you. And behind it, you can hear the hiss of the serpent. Yeah. Old friends that you went to high school with. Hey, you want to do a reunion? Well, we're going to have a little pre-reunion before the reunion. El Diablo. 1-800-DEVIL-NOW. Don't be fooled. He works the same way. He's going to try and tempt. He's going to try and test. He's going to use heavenly hosts of wickedness. He's He's going to throw those things at you. He may be used in some old ways, but they still work in our new days. Jesus in Luke 22 said this, Simon, Simon, talking to Peter, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I'm strengthening, strengthening the brethren right now. Don't be dumb. Stay prayed up. If Jesus needed to pray for Peter, how much more do we need to pray for ourselves and for other people that we know? If Jesus saw it necessary because the temptations were coming against Peter, how much more do you think you need to pray for yourself and for others around you, for your children, for your husband, for your wife, for your family, for your church, for your pastor? Daniel was no doubt experiencing these temptations, this test, because he was God's man. Not because he was evil, not because there was a problem in his life, not because he was sinning. It was because of his integrity. When you have that integrity, you're going to get attacked. Satraps are going to come against you. The people in the story were bewitched by power, thinking they were going to get something that Daniel already had. And they thought if they could just simply get this in writing. Satan is the mastermind behind these things. And his plans are putrid. They're rotten. They're not for your good. And some of you have been flirting with things in this room. Or you know somebody who's been flirting with things that are in this room. And you know exactly what I'm saying. 
You, you do not want to play with the devil. He doesn't play fair, and he plays for keeps. He's not trying to make your life better. He's not trying to give you some new experience. He's not trying to make sure that you have what you deserve. He's trying to kill you. And so be wise. Don't give him an inch. Have, a, have the character of Daniel. This is, Jesus reminded us in John's gospel, he's a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. The original language of John 8, is basically saying the devil's native tongue is lying. That's his lingua franca. His native tongue is lies and deception. So when those things come up, you need to see where they came from. He's the father of all of them. So the conspirators here is really the devil and his minions stirring up people. And so this power of the monarch that's going to be passed on through these leaders is very easily manipulated by the wicked one. We have the same problem in our world. It's amazing to me how many people fall into the trap of getting all upset with our rulers. And again, use your vote to vote for things that are godly and people that are godly. We must do that. But behind them, there's a whole system of evil. When you see those things happen, that's not because necessarily those people are, are ill-intended or evil. It's because the one behind them is. You know, I've talked to people with whom I vehemently disagree on, on political things. Now, I'll sit there, and, and when it gets down to it, you know what? They aren't as evil as I may have thought they were originally. They may be misguided. They, they may think of things differently. But behind them, the enemy is stirring up those things within sight of them to where they act on them. And so fight that the way Daniel fights it. Notice verse 10, and we'll wrap this up tonight. And now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, when he got the message that this edict was going to go out, he went home and cowered with fear and doubt and panic and started dialing up all of his friends and asking them if they had a place that he could stay. He looked for the quickest way out of Babylon. Well, that isn't what it says, is it? When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And I want you to see this. And in his upper room, with his windows open, now bear in mind that during that day and time, not like our day and time, the windows open meant anyone passing by could hear absolutely everything that was going on. Our day and time, we live far enough apart, maybe that's not going to happen. But notice what's said. In his upper room, where it would carry the furthest, his upper room, 
I can tell you a little bit about radio broadcasting. I've, I've been involved in building a whole bunch of radio stations all over the place. We always seek to put a radio tower on the highest possible point because it changes the distance those radio waves will travel. The same is true for all sound waves. The more elevation you have, the further those sound waves will carry. And so if Daniel had been on the ground floor, they would have gone a shorter distance. And it seems to be that he's saying, look, I'm gonna go up and get as high as I can and I'm gonna open up my windows toward Jerusalem, the city of his fathers, from which he himself had been taken captive. And he knelt down on his knees three times that day. Not only did he not cower in fear, he immediately broke the edict. He said, I'm not going there. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God Notice this, as was his custom since early days. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel said, oh, oh no. I'm not giving up on God. I'm not bowing down to your edict I'm going to bow down to the Lord of heaven and earth I don't care what you say I'm not going to stop praying I don't care what you do I'm not going to stop praying it was Daniel's uncompromising faithfulness that shines in this passage and it's going to cost him and I can't tell you if at any point in time Daniel had a little bit of you know fear maybe running through his veins for a few moments I I don't believe actually that that's the case but it is possible i suppose because what we know about daniel is he just seemed to be fearless no matter what happened but i do know what we are told when daniel learned of that decree he did exactly what he had always done when daniel heard you can't do this he said oh yes i can and oh yes i will When the devil is plotting and and his minions are pushing, when things are coming unraveled, Daniel's not coming unraveled with them. You know, sometimes I hear hear believers, Christians, people that I know and love getting into, just worked into a tizzy, into a frenzy over things that are going on in our world. And I will usually stop, have you actually prayed about that? And they'll say, well, I don't have time to pray about it. I mean, I got to go on I got to go on this website or that website or read this blog or read this thing. You know, I, I I need to keep track of all these things. Look, you can't keep track of what the devil's doing. That's a distraction. And I'm going to give you a little bit of advice from your pastor. Spend less time on sketchy Christian websites and more time on your knees before the God of heaven. A lot of the stuff that you read on the internet, in case you didn't know, not everything on the internet is true. Just saying. But if you take a good percentage of that time and instead of investing it in trying to read everything you can possibly get 
about whether your children are going to get autism because they get vaccinated for polio and maybe spend some time praying that your children wouldn't get polio, it might be a whole bunch more effective. Sometimes we get caught up and we play right into the devil's hands because all of a sudden the energy that we should take to fighting the fight the right way, we put into fighting with people. Fighting with websites. Fighting with people we don't even know because they have an existence on the, on the world wide web. We get duped. But what we see with Daniel is he just simply faithfully prayed. He said, I know things are a mess. I know things are not good. But he himself didn't go out and try and convince the the king otherwise. He just simply prayed. And I wonder if there isn't a message to us in our day and time. Because I've watched an awful lot of people who love the Lord, absolutely love the Lord, get filled with fear because of what they think the enemy might do. We already know what he's trying to do. He's trying to lie, cheat, steal, and destroy. He's attempting to affect kings and kingdoms. And so if we'll spend a little more time praying against the plot of the enemy instead of praying for or against people, I think we'll have better success. And I know we'll have a lot more peace in our lives. Because when I talk to the Prince of Peace, I end up with the peace of the Prince of Peace. But when I go on websites, very often I end up with anything but peace And probably a vast majority of the information is either sketchy or slanted to a specific viewpoint. So be careful. It's kind of ironic to me that now everyone is is standing. Remember, the opposite was true on the plains of Dura. Daniel and his three friends were the only ones standing, and now Daniel and his three friends are going to be the only one bowing. You kind of get the picture here? It's like, whatever the world's doing, I'm not doing that. Wherever the world's going, I'm not going there. If the world decides that's what I should do, it's probably not what I should do. But what we find is Daniel doing exactly what the world says he can't do. Worshiping God. Daniel's a man of immense courage. He's a man that trusts God implicitly. He's a man that's going to be used to save the Jewish people. He's a man to whom no harm is going to come in spite of what it looks like. He's fearless in that sense. And while I don't mean this to to cause anyone to act foolishly, you as a child of God are protected by God. It's his job. He, and he is able to keep those who are his. His, not, his hand, the Bible says, is not short so that he cannot save. God has never been defeated. He won't be outlasted. 
He isn't going to be outthought. Uh, and so God's got it. God's got it. The problem is we have to trust him with what he's got. And that is hard for us because it requires that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because it very often is the sight that deceives us. We see things and we go, oh, I got to do something about that. Well, what we probably have to do about that is make sure that we've talked to God first about it before we do anything. It's what Daniel did, and I encourage us, myself included, to do exactly the same. No matter what Daniel faced, there was one thing you could count on. He was going to God first. No matter what happened, no matter what the threat was, no matter what the potential disaster would be, you could find Daniel talking to God. Say, God, if you don't take care of this, it's not going to get taken care of. And so dare to be like him. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to just put things in God's hands and say, God, I trust you. Leave it with him. Pray. Seek the Lord while he may be found. If we ask, he will answer. Let's be like Daniel. Amen? Father, thank you for the time that we've had to be able to look at your word and just study it. And Lord, we are so grateful for the power that we have in you. Lord, we know the enemy is going to come like a lion. He's going to come as a serpent. He'll disguise himself as an angel of light. He will lie to us and about us. He's going to accuse. He's going to try and destroy us. But we rest and trust and hope that he who is in us is greater than the one that's in this world. And so, Lord, we rest in you. Uh, we ask you to give us tremendous wisdom as we walk through life. Lord, help us to avoid those traps, expose them. Help us to cause all of our activity and action had to be meaningful. Lord, don't let us get caught up in these conspiracy theories things that ultimately just distract us from the real purpose that you called us to this earth uh, to do and to be and that's to just be salt and light to share the gospel so thank you for daniel's strength give us a double portion of it in jesus name amen